Kia ora tato everyone. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome the uh, next two speakers for today who are talking about worship and liturgy uh, for queer experiences. Uh, in particular, they're looking at how might public worship and pastoral rituals reflect queer experiences, including those that are hurt by how some churches do worship, going beyond inclusive language, covering reformed worship and its elements, an opportunity to share resources, pastoral rituals, significant points in queer people's lives that often go unmarked but can be helpful tools in providing pastoral care for queer folk during this time, how the church has used ritual historically, Tradition from a queer lens, workshop participants' experiences of what's worked and what hasn't, which means uh, there's some interactive elements, so mm-hmm. you've been warned. <laughs> it's my uh, great pleasure to introduce you both to uh, Richie and to Jean. Welcome. Kia ora. Kia ora koutou. Um, welcome. We decided we'd quite like to be in the round because uh, this is going to be a conversation. Not a bunch of input from Richie yeah. and I. Um, uh, as I did in our previous session, I'd like to introduce these friends that are here, part of the circle, the picture of Felicity, um, Sergius and Bacchus, and Christ and his friend, Abbot Menas. And uh, these are three icons, two contemporary ones of ancient people and one quite ancient, one a copy of. Um, and... For me, icons are a reminder that we are surrounded by the presence of the Holy One. Uh, the people depicted on the icons are ways for the light of the divine to meet us. And so when we, when we um, contemplate them, we're paying attention um, to the way that the light shone through these specific people of faith, but also to the presence of the Holy coming through them to us. Um, and um, and so that's true of each person in the circle today. Um, each of us is an icon of the Holy One. Um, God's presence comes through us to one another. And so they're here to remind us of that. And it's a very ancient tradition. If you want to know a bit more about icons there, and about these icons in particular, these stories are on these big pieces of paper, but you also might want to take one of these with you um, if you want to keep the stories. So we're going to introduce ourselves, but then we'd like to go around the circle and um, for you to say um, something about who you are and where you're from, Um, and as people are continuing to come in the door, we might just see if we can expand the circle slightly. Includes bringing some chairs and I think. That's a bigger turnout than we anticipated. That's great. (laughs) Excellent. Just a few more. Um, So, yeah, who you are, the name you like to be known by, um, something that grounds. Uh, where, where you're from, it might be about a geographical place, or it might be something else. Um, and why you're here? Yeah, or yeah, maybe we'll save that one for the next round. Um, <laughs> um, just and then it'll get us around the circle. Yeah. So um, I'm Jean Malcolm. I am an Anglican priest. I am at present part of the team at St Peter's 
Willis Street in Wellington. Um, I have um, the Anglican Church is kind of my Tūranga Waiwai. I'm a third generation priest. My father and my grandfather were priests. Um, and I also spent a chunk of my life as a Franciscan sister and liturgy has always been a part of the environment in which I find myself and um, I come from a family that also um, really values creativity and artistry um, and so those two things come together for me in creating liturgy. Wow. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, kia ora everyone. My name's Richie. I um, grew up in Christchurch initially um, and was involved in some of the Anglican churches here. Um, varying traditions from evangelical to highbrow Anglo-Catholic. Um, earthquake happened and I ended up in Dunedin. Um, Shook you a long way. <laughs> <laughs> it did, it did. Um, and um, whilst I was a, a, an Anglican down there for a, a while, as confirmed at All Saints in Dunedin, um, I have journeyed into the Presbyterian tradition. Uh, my grandfather was a, a lay Methodist preacher, ordained Presbyterian minister, and then um, was an Anglican, well, not necessarily a priest, but was still ordained and ministered within the Anglican context. Um, so I've grown up with a love of um, the role of ministry and liturgy. Uh, I think a big part of it for me is storytelling um, and creativity, uh, as you're saying, Jane. Um, where, you know, I'm, I'm a musician, not first and foremost, but it's one of the things that most people learn about me first because they tend to hear me before they see me. Um, but I've been delving into the way that arts and creativity and the way that liturgy is drama uh, and performance and presentation. Um, over the last two years, I have been a volunteer chaplaincy assistant at the University of Otago. Um, I am also on staff at Simons College, which is one of the Presbyterian-owned residential colleges in Dunedin. And as part of my role there, I facilitate. Sorry. High school or uni? It's a university, university college. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Just college or something. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So residential colleges for tertiary students. Um, part of my role there is crafting the chapel life, um, and I've just begun to do that up at Knox College, which is the sort of. I would say Tūranga Waiwai of um, Presbyterianism in New Zealand, um, and I, it's, a, it's a real privilege, as I was saying a bit earlier, as a gay lay person to have the responsibility to look after the chapel life in that place, um, and I think that's probably a lot about me, um, so I'm going to pass <laughs> this way. So... Tell us how you like to be called and uh, something about something that grounds you, so a place or a community or something. Um, I'm Ash Fabian and 
Uh, grew up in Omaru, but uh, now settled here in Christchurch. And what grounds me is unplugging from technology and getting out the back in the camper van, away from uh, all the data on the Facebook. Thank you, everybody, for um, having your voice heard and your presence acknowledged in the space. Um, we're going to go move through a, a bunch of different kind of thoughts and questions as this um, workshop unfolds. It's definitely going to be a, a workshop, a participatory thing. So um, we thought we'd begin by just getting you to turn to someone next to you and talk about um, what do you mean by worship and liturgy? Because they're both words that have lots and lots of different um, meanings to different people and then we'll draw, once you've had a wee chat with just one person, we'll draw some of that stuff out and so, so Richie, what do you reckon worship and liturgy are? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, well, I might have prepared something earlier <laughs> I was sort of actually hoping to hear from most of you guys, but, but I will I will start with one sentence just to get us going. I think worship is about bringing all of, all of who we are and all we have to God, and I think liturgy is the practical way in which we do that. Um, so I'm going to leave you with that. So we don't need to go around and hit everybody, but, but throw out some ideas that you've heard, perhaps, or that by having the conversation with the person that you've had, the, or people you've had the conversation with, some thoughts about either particular experiences of liturgy and worship, or um, maybe something that's different from the way you thought about it. Um, just throw some things out. We talked about... Um like often associating worship with music and like the definition of the word worship doesn't have to be about songs about Jesus but that's kind of our association and kind of connecting that in with beauty um, and yeah like that is a reflection of God Come from really ancient places, but then for me, it's how to 
repurpose and connect that with what's around me now. So I was um, telling um, we shifted to our house recently. So I created a liturgy that was a blessing karakia for the house that kind of connected with some of the prayers you might do with blessing a house, but also things that really spoke to what we wanted to do with this new space and welcoming people into it. And we invited people who had no sense of church sort of stuff at all. And some of them just said, wow, it blew, blew me away because they'd never really experienced anything. We did an intentional talking in quite a structured way with something that was really, really powerful. So for me, it's a mixture of that ancient connecting with the now, yep. uh, and maybe some of the words we use are really important. Um, I love music like anyone else, but sometimes those words are really, really important. Anyone else feeling? Yeah. I've seen a lot of it for me in my last several years with the worship was all on my own. It was all like writings and journaling and poetry and finding that connection in the natural world instead of in, a, in your like traditional world, standing in a church and singing songs. That works too, but I always found it was a lot easier just to step back, make a playlist and go for a walk. And find that connection in the in the natural world. We talked briefly about um, worship also being um, like practices that you do, like um, might be kneeling or making a flower display. Or um, I really have spent quite a lot of time in Asia and lots of big things like prayer flags or. Um, so anyway, I think I quite like the practices concept of worship. Cool. What about this idea of liturgy? I will be honest and say that I don't even know. I would be able to tell you what the dictionary meaning of it was. <laughs> so big word. Yeah. It's even bigger than me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly why we're having that yeah. conversation. I guess it's thoughtful words, um, people sort of with an intentionality to look towards God. It like, really connects with um, more than just ourselves. Like There are other people saying these words too, and other people who have said these words often for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, just the kind of idea that like, I'm not inventing this faith and there are people that I can look to for wisdom and the right words to say. We talked about one of my favourite books. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Yep. Um, and it's, it's written by this um, theologian who goes through her daily practices um, of like just, just normal life and looks at them as spiritual practices. So she has making her bed and losing her keys and fighting with her husband, checking her emails, and having a cup of tea, and um, talking about like this this kind of picture of like devotional practices that encounters like the whole of your life rather than just these kind of um, like like rarefied or like mediated ones that we have in the church or like um, that we, we sort of 
set apart from the other things that we do. And what it would look like if you if you could have God with you as you lost your kids or had to answer the emails or these these kind of you know, the maintenance tasks so there's something about intentionality and there's something about structure and pattern and rhythm. Yep. Um, there's something about connection. So liturgy, liturgy literally means the work of the people. Um, and so that can be the work of the people as in the people gathered in the room. Or it can be the work of the people as in the people who I belong to. Um, it can be um, the work of the people that's been done, as you say, down through the ages. So, you know, saying morning prayer might feel boring, but it also um, has been a, a structure that's been used for a very long time. And so by saying morning prayer, I'm connected to the people who are saying morning prayer in other parts of the world, but in other times, and, and not only in the past, but those who will come after me, who, who will keep this rhythm and this discipline. Um, and when we do like that woman did and create her own set of liturgies, it's like being intentional about those parts of her life and creating some structure and some pattern and some rhythm and, and saying, actually, this is connecting me to others who do the same kind of thing. Yeah. I was doing a bit of thinking around this, um, and I love the idea. Liturgy, the idea of it dates back to the... Roman Empire um, and wealthy people were called upon by the community to do a liturgy and that included things like building a road or um, looking after people in the community doing, doing, doing important things um, it's it, yeah, this, work, this work that people are called to do yeah, love, love, the, love the idea that it, it is just this thing that we're called to do and connecting it with our ordinary life, not just the big important things like building roads or um, the liturgical prayers of the church, but the ordinary and everyday be, being called, being sanctified, marked as important um, before a God who holds everything that we that we offer and that we are. And also that we don't do it for ourselves, even though, you know, ourselves um, benefit from it, but we do it for the people. <laughs> for the people we're connected to, for the acknowledgement that we we are part of something bigger than just yeah. ourselves. But building on that then there's there's the idea of God doing it's, it's God's act of love that initiates us and calls us into that space and God is participating and engaging um, so it's not just us but it is as I say the God and God who holds and the God who loves and the God who nurtures um, does anyone else have any sort of thoughts on that before we get into the next section Anything else about those ideas of worship from Ruth Duck? Yeah. Um, it's 
So Ruth Duck is a method was a Methodist minister, um, and she was looking at the language of worship, so the words we use like liturgy and worship and the definitions and things, but she's also looking at kind of theological themes that underpin it. This, I love it, she's got like five R's, um, and I'm going to see if I can remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> and um, I'll follow his notes and see if he remembers. Oh, jeez, you, you, you're, you're more organised than I am on this one. Um, <laughs> So, I know the biggest ones, I don't, I don't, I don't actually think we're going to go through all five of them. Um, <laughs> the biggest one, or two actually, is that worship is about relationship. Um, it is an entering and a participating into relationship with God. Um, and that relationship involves one of the other R's, responding to what God is doing. Um, and that it sort of builds on what we're, what we're talking about, that it isn't just us doing things, it's God's activity, God's creation, God's love, um, that we honour uh, and in that space that gives us a mission to bring uh, for ourselves um, you know, our life and our experiences before God. Um, the other big R word, which I love here, is rehearsal. The idea that worship and liturgy is an exercise in bringing about that vision of new creation, of the kingdom of God, that love, justice, mercy, hospitality, inclusion. Um, it's a rehearsal in the sense that we practice how to do those things in community so we can go out into the world and show those things and bring about the kingdom of God. Um, so I think that segues really nicely into yeah. the next section. Yes. So when we started talking about, oh, I meant to do this earlier, yeah. um, to acknowledge um, Susan Jones, who was going to be presenting with us or facilitating with us, who due to um, health issues, hasn't been able to. Um, and she uh, was, when we had that initial conversation together, it was three people running a workshop who don't live in the same city. Um, <laughs> um, we talked about how some of the experiences that people have had of worship and liturgy, even at the Awaken conference, have been quite triggering. And the need to be aware of how different kinds or styles of worship um, have different effects on people, and um, yeah, that if we get too caught up on liturgy just being about words, we miss a whole lot of stuff. And if we're not careful, but we do still need to be careful of the words because what the words represent for people can be quite hard. And the same with the style of music. You know, for a lot of people, the style of music is something that's quite triggering, and so on. Um, and so we thought it might be a good thing to have a conversation about what aspects of worship or how can worship cause harm and what might be some things that we might um, do to mitigate that. 
does that question make sense? Mm. So I'm just going to make a little list on the back of my piece of paper in case we want to remember the things that we say. Mm. So what are some things that we might find triggering or that have caused harm for us in the past uh, or that we know from other people's stories is difficult about? I'll give one. Mm -hmm. Um, I find often language of prayer of confession quite difficult. Um, In some liturgical circumstances we'll get up and we'll say we confess before you go, you know, we confess our sins and, you know, thought, word, and deed, for example, uh, but we don't sort of explain. Yeah, what's, what's it, what, what, are, what are we confessing? What is sin? What is, what, what is it? Um, so, as a young person, I, as a young queer person in the church, I would always feel like I have to confess my sexuality as a sin. Um, so, now, when I craft liturgies, and this is this is one of the blessings I've found in the in the way I've been trained, um, I'm really intentional with giving examples, some ideas of what we might want to confess, the kinds of behaviours, the kinds of thinking, the kinds of experiences, um, and sometimes I might use the word acknowledge instead of confess. Um, so that's just one example that I, I know has been a big part of my experience in thinking about liturgy. Uh, I think for me a lot of the... Um, it, it does come back to language, which I think is such a big part. Um, and it's almost like the language of blame that you've been assumed to have uh, done bad things um, or that there's something about you intrinsically that's wrong and you've got to keep asking for forgiveness. Um, And that constant repetition of you have to be forgiven, be forgiven, it's like, well, I don't think I did anything wrong today. Um, Jesus died for you, man. (laughs) 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 Have you ever um, experienced anything that um, was the flip side of that? Where you felt like it was, you didn't feel blamed or intrinsically wrong? Um, I think, uh, like, participating in, like, a a worship event which is more about celebrating Mm. uh, rather than um, blaming. It's kind of like coming to celebrate and to acknowledge and to recognise and to give thanks. So all of those sort of things which are really uplifting um, and trying to uh, when when I look back on the different worship experiences that I've had, it's those type of ones that I've gone away with feeling more full uh, than when I've had an experience that you've just felt, it's like oh, I had to go and say sorry to God today. Um, I'll try to do better next time. Yeah. Yeah. Manipulative music. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't noticed it before, but I was at a, a youth event camp, and one of the lect- uh, speakers was talking about the fact of the music being at the speed of an increased heartbeat. Mm-hmm. 
and she literally had to walk out at the worship times because she felt it was manipulating all those young people to have an emotional high and think that this was God speaking to them. And I... Yeah, every time I am in that position again, I just feel sick because I can just feel the manipulation of, of those emotions. I was going to say the exact same thing as you. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the flip side of that for me is something I've really noticed, particularly when I've come to church here at Gate, is where the worship is just laid back and relaxed and everyone take part, takes part and it's just truly who we are and there's nothing formative about it. Well, it, it, it's to praise God, but we're not putting on a show. Mm. Yeah. I think I found the militant type of language in songs quite triggering. Yeah. Mm. Um, when, you know, we're conquering yeah. uh, death and, uh, and but also the connotations of conquering the rest of the world mm, for yeah. to be the same as us. Um, and I think since uh, coming out, just seeing the effect of that kind of uh, superiority that I think I you know, bought into um, thinking I was humble <laughs> at the same time. Um, but I think having space in uh, songs for um, an array of doubt and frustration and highs and lows um, and having all of the human experience expressed rather than a, a crescendo to concrete death. I, yeah, and I guess I feel as if I've been around long enough to have seen the rise of things when I started in my youth with hymns and then it went into scripture and song, which mm. is kind of okay. Then it went to songs of a nation, and it sort of seemed to creep a different way. Then it went to something else, and it really went in a particular direction uh, that I quite consciously chose to leave. Um, but then I guess um, I found a lot of stuff, say, from the Iona tradition. Again, things where you've got really carefully worked words that aren't about um, getting a particular feeling going, but actually... Um, it's like the old hymns in the sense where the words can become part of how faith is talked about in a way that's really important and grounded. Um, and I know that sort of thing doesn't turn everyone off, but um, the importance of um, those words in the music as well is, is, is really, really, really important. I find some chorusy songs. Um, Sort of saying the same thing, we get on and on and on. It's not for that, you know. <laughs> it's like running out of words to think. And then you sometimes do need to think what you're saying because you think, oh, I don't know, that's really well on board, you know. I sometimes find repetition quite helpful because mm. I'm a bit slow. So <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes I can use that space and then put my own kind of 
just uh, heart to heart with God. Maybe not even saying it, but you did with them. Kind of being with God. Because you can forget about what you're saying. But I also really did sometimes go like, I think we really did that bit. It's a bit like, you know, the Pharisees praying and saying it over and over again to show how good we are. Back to intent again. So I often, because I have a bit of a similar reaction often with choruses that just we keep singing the same thing over again. It's like the record got stuck. Yep. And then I think, but I love Kazoo Chant. Yeah. And that's yeah. over yeah. and over. Yeah. And yeah. why is that? Why? What is it that's going on in me? Yep. That means one thing is I see as a nuisance, and one thing I see is incredibly helpful. Yep. You know, it's interesting. I'm not making any judgment on no, other subjects. I was just reflecting really on the same thing. We have we have these wonderful contemplative traditions of um, repeated patterns of prayer to try and get them to sink into our hearts. Um, you know, the, the mystic way of approaching liturgy is to really let it be in us. Um, yet for me personally and I, I'm guessing some of you the tone of kind of doing the same thing but with the manipulative big band stringsy kind of thing has a different impact um, it's interesting what you're saying about the manipulative thing because I kind of I get that but at the same time Musicians set a mood. Yep. Mm-hmm. So regardless of, of whether it's, it, it, sometimes I wonder whether it's that sort of agent of, you know, I prefer disco, or I prefer classical, or yep. you know, like there's yep. everyone likes different things, yep. move them and bring yep. them closer to God. And, and so I think in some ways, musicians, by default, regardless of what style of music they're in, yep. part of their job is to set a mood for worship, is it? Absolutely. I think it's the intentionality, though. I've been in some places where you've had a worship leader extorting us to wave our hands in the air and get really excited, and I have to say my Presbyterianness came right in the <laughs> there and they go, no! <laughs> but it was... It was the rave thing. We've all got to go and do this to worship God. I I totally agree that the music is fabulous for setting the tone, but it's the intentionality. Is it to end up with everyone having this emotional high, Mm. or is it bringing people to the throne of God? I think it's it interesting, are. isn't it? Because you know, like different cultures will give a different answer oh, too. Yeah. You know, like uh, having a conversation with one of our Franciscan brothers a long time ago now. He'd been um, Desmond Tutu's personal assistant, and wow. he moved to England to join the Franciscans. And I met him there when I was spending some time there. And he said, oh, "I can't bear it. Nobody dances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all." They were so pinned down. <laughs> and he came from a very liturgical tradition. You know, Cape Town Cathedral, very high church. But everybody moves because yep. they're African. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It yeah. raises the whole thing about embodiment yeah. and mm. connection. And yeah, I'm a youth worker and have also risen with this question about like going to camps with the young people and it's just like, 
not heaps of sleep happening and really like intense music, but for them to know that God is a God who loves fun and wants mm. them to have a good time is really important, and that's yeah. something that they all get to connect with in that space. And like, oh, there are these cool people on the stage doing this like rock band thing, and they actually like God too. That's quite cool. Mm. But there are some aspects to that space as well. Mm. Okay. And on the flip side of that one, forced participation sucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like. Yeah. I know lots of people hate being dragged into stuff, and I mean. I, if I'm going to something, I would much rather go on my own terms than be like, oh, you know, you have to participate in this or else. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I find myself gra- gravitating towards worship music when I'm just chilling on my own versus, like, voluntarily, I'm not likely to go to church because I feel like that there's this massive obligation to participate. But yet I'd much rather just, like, sit at home with Spotify and the, the playlist going. Maybe I'm just an introvert, but... (laughs) (laughs) On on that forced participation thing, something that I've been mulling over to do with this kind of like manipulative music thing as well, is that often there's this kind of moment of like a call to prayer, and it happens in a moment in a service where you've been kind of like, through what has been said, music that has been played, you're... You've been made to feel uncertain in yourself in some fashion. Yeah. And sometimes this is like not not to knock the technique because in some ways this is good because it questions people's certainties about, I don't know, their moral superiority or like other things that the spirit does want to challenge us about. But I've seen it happen in moments and I've noticed in myself, even in services that are held in, in churches that like are obviously indefinitely rainbow affirming in those moments there's part of me that kind of goes oh is this my call to prayer to fix this part of me or is this my call to prayer to to have this thing taken away like am I suddenly wrong about all of those other moments and and there's a sort of like I don't want to call it manufactured, but there's, there's a kind of like journey to fragility that happens in, in a lot of services. And, and what is said, or what is, what is encouraged in that moment, um, whether it's like, if you've been sitting here wondering if you should get prayer, now is the time. You know, like, it's never too late. There are always people, you know, there's this kind of like moment of like almost being tipped over the edge. And and afterwards I would then have to like talk myself out of it and go, no, that's ain't not what anyone is saying in the room. And and that's that's not consistent with the witness for the rest of your Christian life. And and yet in this moment where music is doing music things and and there's this kind of fragility and and someone standing at the front and saying, I will pray for you or like, you know, there's an invitation for like transformation, which I think there's a sort of desire for it in us, you know, that, yep. that our pain be transmuted into something. Um, there's, there's something in that moment that can either be Immensely powerful for good or immensely powerful. Mm. Mm. I sometimes wonder if it's 
the fittest that maybe almost that herd thing that we have as humans. Mm. We want to kind of feel connected and doing something together. I keep thinking of you know, the Simpsons where they have um, you know, the crowd will suddenly turn and do this and that and the rest of it. It's sort of like, you know, someone says one or two things and everyone follows in a completely different direction. And I really fight against that. Whereas for me, what was the most powerful thing for me in a church I was in years ago, and there are a few that have done this sort of thing, where after the sermon, we'd have a kind of a, let's actually respond to this as a whole group. And you'd hear the most fascinating stuff. And you start to connect with people's journeys on this sort of stuff. They think, wow, fancy that's going on for them. And it's quite different for me. So it's almost that kind of spirited conversation, which is quite different to a, I wonder if anyone else is thinking this too. Oh, I, should, I should go and do it because everyone else is doing it now. It's more that manipulation thing. But there's something there about, for me, where if you can connect with, um, I guess, the, 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 the spirit of this go and other people, it's really, really powerful. I think that sort of links to, um, I remember one time I just had come back to New Zealand after being in an Asian setting where there was much more sort of normative ways of worship, and it was just really spacious freedom to sort of like, if you, if you want to stand up then you're welcome to and using God and without using gendered pronouns and saying you know, we welcome everybody here um, children, people who are binary, people who are you know, just sort of using words of welcome and inclusion and I think also giving different ways of responding if you want to go and draw some sand trays, if you want to go and sit in the sun, if you want to talk to somebody like just so I think I appreciate that spaciousness. The thing with music is it does evoke an emotional response. And I was really interested last night in my response to the song worship because it feels that the service is very similar to the evangelical church yep. in Nepal. And I kind of kept waiting for this like trigger to happen and for me to feel like I had a rug had been pulled out from the and never quite got there and actually just really welcomed that um, there's something about lots of people singing together that is an emotional thing, but the way it's stewarded then dictates kind of what happens then, because I've been in those situations where it's stewarded as, you know, this is the response of the spirit and you're going to, and so then when you don't feel like that or you do feel like that, then it's that kind of exclusion of thing. Yeah. I just want to respond very briefly to that. Um, everyone is unique. Uh, There's this wonderful bit in Romans 8 where it talks about the Spirit praying in us and we can feel the way that the Spirit prays in us. Um, Sarah Coakley draws on this quite a bit when she's thinking about an ethics of relationship and desire. Uh, and how um, it is something that we can cultivate, something we become aware of, but it's, it is different for everyone. So if someone, someone, someone's getting up and saying, this one thing is the movement of the Spirit, this is how you have to be feeling, because this is what the Spirit is doing, yeah. it is totally disingenuous to unique experience. 
responding to that um, fr fragility that you were talking about, Charlotte. It's like, and those moments of kind of call to prayer and that moment of kind of vulnerability and self-doubt, like, does, are we led in a theology of God being with us in our suffering or God fixing our suffering? Ooh. And I think that's like, when we have that kind of self-doubt and questioning, do we want God to fix it or do we want God to sit with us and like suffer with us and then move through it? Mm -hmm. I think, um, and that's a really hard thing to remember in those moments as well, like almost impossible. So, but yeah, having people who lead us in that way that as well. Raises a big, big mm. topic, the role of the mint in worship. Mm. Um, where worship is not just about saying, hey God, you're awesome. Um, it's, hey God, life is absolutely shit right now. Where the heck have you been? <laughs> um, I'm aware that we uh, have 15 minutes to go. Um, and another piece that we thought would be good to transverse together um, is how people in the, in the room have incorporated um, queer experiences into worship, what worked, what didn't. Um, it, you know, it's, it's all a bit of an experiment. You know, life, life is an experiment. Um, there's um, always more to learn, um, and we only learn really by having a go and falling over and getting up again. Um, so um, we've, we've got a few examples here, but just are there any things that folks in the room have had a go at that um, in terms of, and so we're probably talking here about liturgy or worship that is crafted for the use of a group of people rather than yes. just yep. an individual. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the... Um, there was one point in my youth group where we had a bunch of little prayer stations set up and half of our youth group is queer, right? Well, used to be our youth group got disbanded because we didn't have any leaders, but... Um, just over half of us were queer and we like to cause as much chaos as possible um, but there was a there was a station that was like open up the bible to a random verse and then write on it and I remember I opened it up to that Leviticus that you all know what I'm talking about yep. and I wrote a poem in response to it and it, it really opened a couple of things like it was almost like I was not exactly arguing with the Bible, but kind of putting putting my thoughts on paper, and that I brought it back to the group, and they're like, for starters, I didn't even realise we had that, that we had that translation. Like, yeah, well, we do. And for seconds, that's a really cool poem, and um, I, I called it "Love Is Love," and it was a bit of a fun one to read out. Um, but the queer people in my in the youth group were kind of looking at me and going. Yeah, that's a bit too close to home, now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but definitely, like connection through like shared words and um, shared writings and, like, and art as well. And an example of a group of spiritual women that's just forming, and the beginning of the use of the Aramaic term for God, our oh. womb, yep. which yes. is a you know, womb for mother and mother and father, and you know that which leads the path that leads in and, and the field. Uh, our womb, and actually, well, why not use the word that Yeshua used? Yeah, mm. you know, and it has both um, aspects of um, that which grows us and, and that which is a path. 
all combined in it. And even that for me goes beyond male and female. You know. Yeah. Adding on to that, um, also like looking into other religious ways of seeing the divine. Um, I love the fact that um, Islam has 99 words for God. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> One of the experiences that I had, and uh, coming from a good Presbyterian background, we don't do things out the norm, we're instructed, um, but tried doing like four different prayer stations, just really radical type stuff. But like, it was, <laughs> I know, but most people thought it was probably quite, quite tame, but trying different ways of praying, and then afterwards we just kind of sat down and went, well, how did you find it? What worked? What didn't work? Is it something you could take back into your own uh, weekly kind of meditation time or prayer time and things like that? Um, and I actually found it quite good because we got some really good feedback from people who are saying, well, this worked because of this reason. And it meant that you could get a little bit more insight about what works well for people and what maybe doesn't work so well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put two people on the spot. Do you know who you are? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we had a liturgy at um, St Peter's in Willow Street um, last Sunday, which Leonie and Jess were part of putting together. And I just wonder if you would share with us something of how some of that came to be. Service sheet this that you <laughs> just throw on the floor. Facebook and said you wanted to come. Were they chosen 
Oh, we chose. No, we, we okay, chose so the readings. Um, so the readings were the readings, readings from the lecture notes. Oh, yeah. They were, oh, but, <laughs> but, but, but they didn't have to be. But yeah. Yeah, but, mm. so for that that day, these readings were dated, and they actually worked. I think that's why I thought that they chose it. We kind of expanded on them as well. We had a, like, a number of stories that were read after the gospel, mm. um, and they all kind of tied it back into kind of a queer reading of it. Kind of like midrash, really. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like taking the story and rewriting the story with so a different context. For those context. Who don't know what a midrash is, yeah. so it's like taking a biblical story and then telling a story that's kind of sparked from that story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we had some out and John, which yep. always counts for a queer service. <laughs> <laughs> example of trying to create like a specific service in a specific context that says we're going to do a rainbow themed thing um, but one of my big questions that I've been wondering about is how do we include rainbow experiences in our every day, every week that was actually my question following yep. um, so Charlotte's going to end up now. Yeah, fantastic. Let's go. <laughs> Recently, I was asked to speak at a church a year ago called Wellington, and um, we, that, we're travelling through Luke, and um, the person who runs the church, Rose Morris, was like, here are the lectionary readings. You don't have to speak on these. You can if you want to. And I don't remember which chapter Luke is, but it's the one where um, it opens the room and Called to go and address that 
and, and to sort of do a deep dive. Um, and, and in a way, front-footing that there is queerness to be wrestled with, um, like, people who didn't know who like went to the church, like, came up to me afterwards and were like, I've never heard anyone address the question before. And um, hilariously, as I was wrestling with this question of, like, is the centurion gay? What does that mean? Is it good? Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I kind of land in a place that that is that um, there's this kind of theming going on in that story that then gets repeated in the story at the end of the chapter around um, a woman who comes to Jesus at Simon of Cyrene's house and like breaks open his jar and invades his feet. Um, that in the in the centurion story. There are all of these labels of like culture that the centurion carries in that then Jesus kind of relays. That he's this military leader, he's this cultural outsider, and for all intents and purposes, he shouldn't be there and he shouldn't want to be Jesus. And then Jesus goes, You are a man of great faith, greater than all that I have seen in Israel, and so Christ grants him these new kind of like identities. <laughs> and, and so like you see this kind of paralleled in the kind of end story that this woman has this terrible reputation and um, Simon of Cyrene is like, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't touch her. And Jesus just goes, do you see her? Clearly not. <laughs> and, and so for me, in, in front-footing this queer reading, in, in addressing this question, it no longer became about are there queer people in the Bible because that will make or break queer inclusion in the church. But rather that uh, a question of God-given identities or identities that were given in Christ is kind of more front-footed, which is also incidentally an extremely important question for like queer people to like, have an answer to, that like we're beloved of God. And the, the response was just that to simply have it like have happened at all, just because we were going along looking at liturgy as we went along, that as we found queerness, we talked about it, like really just resonated with people. That it wasn't about setting aside queer people, but kind of like in, in the everydayness of, of just being a church and, and doing something as kind of obvious as just following one book of the gospel you can encounter queer people and queer spiritual leaders. Yeah. Awesome. One of the things we've also done in our Eucharistic liturgy, so the Anglican pre-book has, has three main liturgies in it, and the first one, which begins on page 404, and everybody knows it as the 404 liturgy, <laughs> um, it has in its Eucharistic prayer, the great prayer of thanksgiving that we say as we're consecrating the bread and the wine, um, about um, God created us male and female, God created us. And when that liturgy was first written, that was intended to be inclusive, yep. because at yeah. that point, God's made us male and female, not just male. <laughs> but over the years, I've struggled with saying that. Yes. And at one point, I was talking with one of my queer friends, and he says, but we do have both male and female in us. And I went, oh, okay. I can go with that for a while. But then it got to the point of actually 
it's still binary. (laughs) And so we now have changed that to all genders God created us. So that's what we... Is that, like, legit, like, you... With or without pushback? Yep, yeah, no pushback in our congregation. No, 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 not the congregation. Well, would, would, would the bishop have, have your head for it? No, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you probably can. <laughs> well, you see, there is a liturgy in our book that says you can structure your service however you like, you know, so. Yeah. We'll range from anyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, on the whole, if the, if the average bishop knew that that was happening, you, you could be told you're not allowed to do that. Maybe. There's a a hymn resource called Progressing the Journey. Um, There's a few prayers in there too. Is that right? Yep. And prayers? Yep. Yeah, so that's... that's For sale out there. What's that? It's for sale out there. Oh, it's for sale out there. Excellent. Um, I think most of the resources that I glean these days I do by putting something in Google. (laughs) (laughs) And then going, ooh, that's good, I think I might buy that. One of my absolute favourites is the Iona Abbey worship book. Yes. Um, I draw a lot from there. Um, You can get it online, very cheap 
price and it's got rhythms of prayer for an ecumenical um, so the community is the ecumenical um, community that gather on the island of Iona in Scotland um, they draw on a whole range of different traditions they've got prayers for healing uh, prayers for different kind of justice issues including uh, inclusion and identity and just the way they phrase things and reflect on things uh, it's that blending of tradition but intentionally being playful and creative and trying to do things a bit differently I think that's probably been my biggest influence and the music from there by yeah. John Bell absolutely and of course John's gay I don't know if mm. you yes. about Graham yep. but it has very thoughtful words mm. and not bad yeah. Mm. yeah well I wonder has anyone else got anything that they want to say before we close yeah, Ash go for it um, I wanted to add the words yeah. I'm talking about the whole inclusive people language. Also handle inclusive language for God was like really great because I've never seen like never seen God in a binary light. Like mm. he him pronouns for God confused the crap out of me as a kid. It's like if 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 God is all and everything, why are we referring to them as he? Mm. Question mark. Yeah. And just having that kind of inclusive language is really cool. Yeah. And that's a shift that I've noticed in my school as well. We've, um, which is surprising considering cats like not like super conservative, but we're still a little bit like there's still some mm, you're queer. Um, but there's been a shift with our our religious studies department has been slowly changing the language in the songs just to removing taking Lord and changing it to God and just change, like removing pronouns from the songs mm. where possible where it works with the rhymes mm. and I'm just like how did that happen but it was really cool to see that yesterday because I think we had we had mother we had father we had parent we had we had God we had God with she we had God with he we had God with they and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Yeah. <laughs> um, just because um, I like killing trees, um, <laughs> there's a few other things. This is one that we did, uh, which is called a Pride Festival service of prayer, lament, and affirmation, which was a kind of collaboration between the Peggers and Blueprint. And this is, uh, I didn't bring lots of copies of this, but this is why Palm Sunday is like a Pride Parade. Is that um, for Awaken? And then this is just the thing about. The people in the icons, the queer, queer saints. I I wonder. I'm going to throw it open. um, But would someone feel bold and brave enough to just offer a blessing for the space, for the conversations that we've had? Dear Jesus, um, thank you for the way that we get to know you. Um, Thank you for. Um, yeah, for worship and liturgy and the gifts that they are to us and the way that we get to praise you through them. Pray that you'll um, yeah, bless our memories of this conversation, bless all of the things that you've stirred in our hearts and help us to bring them back to where we come from and um, bring others in along the journey with us. Um, yeah, help us to keep wrestling through this um, as we continue on with our lives. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Uh, I just want to finish by thanking the amazing uh, presenters that have been sharing their time, their energy. Uh, it does take a huge amount to prepare for these type of uh, workshops. Uh, and I know that all of us have got at least one or two very, very key pearls of wisdom out of that. Um, you all will now know their names on the back of some of these, uh, your contact details, which is very helpful. Um, and I believe it's not too hard to track Richie down. So uh, you've got two very amazing resources. If at any point you want any assistance or support, or even just to bounce ideas off about worship and message. Totally. I've just got doing enough.